I have been a Christian for about 33 years. I have been actively in ministry as a pastor for nearly 24 years. And I've been I've spent the last five days doing what I've encouraged you to do, and that is getting back into God's Word and reading it, committing myself to read through um, the Bible in a year. And already in five days, I can tell you there are things that I didn't see there before. And they've always been there. I just have just missed them. And so I felt it was really good to start the course of this new year in getting back to discovering what God's Word is and how we relate to it, what it means to us. And so what better place to begin by answering the question of what is the Bible? And so I'd like to do that for you. You'll notice on the front of your note sheet that there are no blanks. And that's because I knew with the testimonies I need to be going at light speed or just a little faster. And so I'll encourage you to lace up your shoes uh, real tight and let's uh, run this race together. But we want to discover what is the Bible. And so let me just kind of run through this very quickly. Really what you've got on the front and, and spilling over in the back of your sheet. But I think it's important that we lay some groundwork as we start to answer this question. The word Bible comes from both the Latin and Greek words that mean book. It's a unique book. It's not like the books you will find on the shelves at your local library. It's a unique book in many ways. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, having sold over six billion copies. That's more than all of Jermaine Copeland's books added together. Okay, she sold a lot, but she hadn't come anywhere near six billion copies sold. Uh, Somewhere I read that there are, on average, 4.4 Bibles. I don't know where you get the point four. Maybe this is the New Testament. 4.4 Bibles in every home in America, if you divided all the Bibles up, by the number of homes that there are in America. So there's a lot of God's Word out there. If you look in the Bible, you'll notice it's not all one type of literature. It's not just telling a story. There's plenty of, there's plenty of history there. You'll find poems. You'll find words of wisdom. You'll find prophecy. You'll look in there and you'll see that there are laws and there are letters and there are parables that are told and there are descriptions of the end time. When you open your Bible, you notice that even though it is a book, in it are contained 66 books written by about 40 authors in three different languages on three different continents over approximately 1,600 years, and yet it has a unity from start to finish. The Bible claims to be inspired by God and inerrant. That means that it is God's word and that it is true. Now, if that claim is accurate, then you you and I are ultimately responsible for how we respond to what God has revealed to us. Let's get that. Let's lay that out. If God's word is true and it is God's word, then you and I now are responsible for how we respond to what has been revealed to us. The Bible claims moral authority over every person. That includes you. Because of this claim, however, there are many people who will reject the Bible outright. And there are many more who will violently oppose it. 
So we began this new year by focusing on getting into God's word and getting God's word in into us. And we want to spend this month considering what the Bible means and how we should respond to it based on what it means. As we look at this, there are a lot of descriptions of the Bible. I want to go ahead and tell you that I borrowed uh, a list from someone else. I could have spent the time to create this, but I did not. I figured it was no sense in reinventing the wheel. Mark Driscoll on his blog site uh, talked about what the Bible says about itself. And I thought it was a great place for us to spend just a few minutes. Now, I'm not going to give you the scripture references for each of these, but on your notes with each of these, there's a scripture reference. And so your homework this week is to go and just look up those scripture references to see how they relate to the statement that's beside it. Real simple, not asking you to write anything down, but you may find that this is very helpful for you to get you energized and to keep you energized about reading God's word. And so this is what the Bible says about the Bible. The Bible is given by the inspiration of God. The Bible are the very words of God. It is all we need in order to know God. It is a perfect guide for life. The Bible is pure. The Bible is true. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is perfect. It is effective and it is powerful. There's nothing that should be taken from it or added to it. For every, it, the Bible is for everyone and it is to be obeyed. Now, in addition to these descriptions, there are some more picturesque descriptions, some more uh, comparisons that are helpful for us to understand not just what the Bible is, but its beauty and its importance. We also see that the Bible describes itself as sweet like honey. This morning I had oatmeal. I put honey on my oatmeal. I love the taste of honey. And so it was a reminder for me, every time you pull the honey out of the cabinet, unless you're on a low sugar diet, you pull the honey out of the cabinet. It's a reminder. The Bible is sweet like honey. It's also a lamp to guide our lives, which we mentioned earlier. The Bible is food for our souls. The Bible is a fire that purifies and a hammer that breaks us. The Bible is a sword. The Bible is a seed for salvation planted in us. And the Bible is milk that nourishes us. Wonderful descriptions of what God's word is. And and I want to just, just give to you this task, this wonderful, blessed task of going and looking up those verses and, and, and letting them wash over you as you come to understand this is what God's word is saying about itself. And if I accept it as true, then what am I going to do about this? I want to spend a few minutes focusing on one of the most direct and revealing portions of Scripture that deals with what the Bible says about itself. Paul is encouraging his young protege, this young pastor named Timothy, to be faithful in preaching God's word. And he tells them why it is so very important. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed 
knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, what I'd like us to do is to break that into three chunks and spend just a few minutes looking at this. In the first verses, 12 and 13, remember, say this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This was certainly true in Paul's time. By the time of the apostle Paul, persecution had already broken out in various places. In fact, Paul himself, prior to becoming a believer, was one of the persecutors. You'll remember that he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. So Paul was very well acquainted with what it cost, both in the lives of others he'd seen and in his own life, he was very well acquainted with the cost of following Jesus. He said, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Now, it was very much true in that time. It's very much true in our time. We really do not see, if you're simply uh, relying on CNN and Fox News to get your news, then you really do not understand the level of persecution against Christians in this world. It is absolutely heartbreaking to see what is taking place all around our world as our brothers and sisters in the faith are losing limbs, losing homes, losing family members, losing businesses, losing their own lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. For no other crime than believing in Jesus. This this is true. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And folks, I want to tell you, as much as I'd like to tell you that we here in America are immune to this, it is coming. We, we need to be preparing ourselves now. It is coming. Churches will be bombed simply because they stand for Jesus. Ministries will be shut down simply because they stand for Jesus. The only thing that is intolerable in our tolerant society is the Christian faith. That's it. And it's going from bad to worse. Not only is there persecution, you go, okay, well, we're not dealing with overt persecution. Well, no, but we are dealing with the other thing that Paul mentions, and that is deception. Deception. Take a little bit of truth, mix it with some falsehood, Put it in a nice package and see if somebody will buy it. There's all kinds of deception out there. Not just in the cults, but you've got to be really, really careful who it is you're following on TV. Just because they've got a microphone and the cross behind them, you need to be really, really careful of those people that you're listening to. Because they take truth and they mix it with error. And guess what? You have error. You have deceit. 
And it's going to happen. It happened in Paul's day. It happens in our day. It's just that now they can get a TV show. They can get a radio broadcast. They can get a podcast. They can put a blog out. And so we need to understand. And Paul says this is going to happen. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be deceit. And if you and I are going to stand when the going gets difficult, then we're going to have to be convinced of God's Son as Savior and God's Word as truth. We're going to have to be convinced of it. He goes on, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, he says, talking now to Timothy, this young preacher, in the midst of persecution and deception. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the deception that's in the world, Paul says, don't give in. Don't be led astray. Remember. Remember your godly heritage. And earlier in Paul's letter, he writes about, uh, about Timothy's mother and grandmother. And how much, of a, how much they loved God and loved God's word and how they taught him the scriptures when he was a child. Now, why is that important? Look at this. Look at what it says. You've, equ- you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What we teach our children and grandchildren will prepare them when the Holy Spirit draws them to have the right context to understand what's happening and to be able to receive and embrace the Savior. Do not underestimate. Listen, you think, okay, I bring my kids to church. They come to they come to Powerhouse. They, they come on Wednesday nights. I bring my kids and, and, and they learn. And that's all my responsibility is. No. We partner with you. But the primary, the primary people who are responsible for the spiritual well-being and education of children are their parents. And their grandparents. You are primary. We are actually secondary. We get them an hour a week, maybe two. That's it. You got them the rest of the time. And so your responsibility is to do exactly what what Timothy's mother and grandmother did. And that is acquaint them with the scriptures. Teach them God's word. Pray with them. Let them read those scriptures to them. And when they're old enough, let them read the scriptures to you. Don't just read them Dr. Seuss. Read them Dr. Luke. Let, get those Bible stories, those books, and let, let them get that into them. Because what it does, it gives them now the context, the understanding that when they're prompted by the Holy Spirit, they're able to respond. By teaching young ones the truth of God, you prepare them to embrace the Son of God. And then let's look at that. I want to focus on these last two verses, 16 and 17. All scripture, it says, is is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is a beautiful passage about the origin and the purpose of God's word. 
Now, your translation may have that all Scripture is inspired by God or all Scripture is God-breathed, and there's nothing wrong with those. However, we want to make sure this, this concept of inspiration is something that is, that's also been diluted with our culture because you could get inspired to clean your garage. Okay? That's a different thing in, entirely. You, you can go to a... Um, you could go to a play or you could go to an art museum or you could go to the opera and, and be inspired by it or, or look at what they've done and say that work is inspired. But that's completely different than what we're talking about here. We're talking about God breathing out his word and people writing it down. This is not dictation. Because if you'll notice, and this is a beautiful thing about scripture, the personality and the style of every author is kept intact. And yet God's word is preserved here so much that we can say this is God's word. He's just spoken it through the lives of so many different people in so many different circumstances. And we get beautiful pictures. That's why we have four different gospels. It's not because there are four different stories. It's that there's one story being told by four different people. And so you get different perspectives and different views and they're writing for different audiences. And so it just gives us a fullness that we would not have had if we'd have just been, okay, here's your one. It gives us this perspective we never would have had. Peter wrote, he said, for there's no prophecy ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke it, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Being carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's the image you want in mind? Get a picture of a ship on the open seas with the wind filling its sails. That's what we're talking about, being carried along. And so the writers of Scripture, they weren't just creating it. They weren't dictating God was speaking to them through their personality, through who they were. But the truth of it is so powerful that we cannot doubt that it's God's word. Now, we're going to take a Sunday to consider the reliability of Scripture so that you can say, I can trust that what I hold in my hand is God's word. But for today, I want us to look at what we've been told here about what is the use of Scripture and, and Paul gives us some simple things that I think we need to hear. First of all, he says it's useful for teaching. What is teaching? Teaching is imparting truth. Some of you are teachers. You taught in schools, and that's what you tried to do is to impart truth. And that's what pastors and teachers in the church are called to do, to impart truth, to spiritually flee, feed the flock of God. It means that there are those whom God has called and equipped to teach and there are those who are willing to learn. You know, teaching requires both those. Not just someone to impart truth, but someone who's willing to receive truth. In truth, even teachers must continually learn. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. We've got some we have some really, really faithful teachers in the life of this church. Uh, every week, you know, I go, I, I go down the hall. I, my class is at the very end of the hall. 
I'm right across from Carolyn Carter, just up the hall is Tom Earl, Earl Smith's up the hall. You know, I go by and, and these folks, they're teaching. John Demarest has his class. Now, I got to tell you something. They don't just show up, open up the book and go, okay, what do we all talk about today? These people who teach are spending all week learning so that they can impart truth. And so they're worthy of our respect and honor because they do a lot. And maybe that's a good place to, to plug getting connected into a small group because we want you there. Because you not only have to have people who are equipped to teach, you have to have people who are willing to learn. But anyway, here's the deal. If we don't know the truth, then we're going to have a hard time recognizing the deception. If you don't know the truth, then you're far more easily led astray. It is so important that we know the truth. And so God's word is to be taught. Secondly, reproof. Now, what is reproof? Reproof means bringing to light. It is exposing error. We don't have one of these in our house. Maybe you've got one of those in your house. You see them in movies uh, where a, uh, uh, the actor or the actress goes to the dressing room and they've got one of these mirrors and bulbs are all the way around the mirror. Maybe you've got something similar to that in your house. And, and, that, and the reason for that is you get that much light, you see every error. And then you can spend your trying, time trying to correct it, trying to cake stuff on to cover it up. Well, that's not actually, that's probably not a good idea of applying makeup. Let me take that back. You know, obviously when I look in the mirror, I want the the light to be as dim as it can possibly be. Unless I have an eyelash in my eye. Then I want light. I want to be able to see what the problem is. And that's exactly the picture we get. This is what reproof is. Reproof is God's dressing room mirror where every bulb is lit up so that you can see where the error is. Now, if that was just what God's word is, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? If all God's word did was show me where I was going wrong, that would be depressing. And so the good news is it's not only good for teaching and reproof, but also for correction. And correction means to make straight again, to make straight again. And so God's word is not, the light is not just there to show me where I've gone wrong. The light is there to show me where the right path is so I can get back on the right path. Most people see God's word just as something that's, that's condemning. You stop doing that. But God's word says, stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Get off this path, this broad way that leads to destruction And come over on this narrow path that leads to life. And and by the way, when you're walking this path, I'm with you. And so it's not only there to show us where we're going wrong. It also shows us how to get right. And then the final term it uses is training in righteousness. I saw my first ad for the Winter Olympics this week. Winter Olympics, evidently they're coming up. It got cold enough. And now they're ready to start jumping off mountains. Uh, they do a little more than that. Uh, they ice skate and stuff like that. I'll, I watch 
I watch ice skating for the same reason that some people watch NASCAR. You know, they say also some people just watch NASCAR for the wrecks. That's why I watch ice skating. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're pretty impressive when they're jumping and twirling and flipping and all this other stuff. But if you really want to have fun, watch them run into a wall. Where was I? Olympics, yes. Training. Same, ter- same term right here. Training. It implies discipline. It implies that to live a godly life is not going to happen by accident. We need to make a plan. To be in God's word. To devote ourselves to prayer. To be part of a family of faith. To be serving other people. And so this is, it has to do with some discipline. And, and I know sometimes we don't like that. We would rather live an undisciplined Christian life. But that's not what God's called us to. He's not the author of chaos. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it requires that you get your carcass out of bed, get into God's word, get on your knees, pray. You make a daily, a daily commitment to it. It's fine making a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read God's word every day. But if you are going to fulfill that commitment, guess what? You have to make that decision every day single day none of these athletes that you're going to see on the winter olympics even the ones that run into walls on ice skates none of those athletes got there by accident they got there by training each and every day and so god's word calls us it says listen it's here to help train us in order to bring your life in line with the will of god It requires daily commitment and daily follow-through. And so here as we stand ankle-deep in the new year, I'm convinced we desperately need to hear from God. We need to hear his wisdom. We need his guidance. We need his encouragement. We need his correction. We need his truth. But maybe you're waiting for that big, booming voice to come from heaven to speak to you. You could be waiting a long, long time. You see, God has already spoken. And we have this treasury of his word. To ignore it is tragic. To read it and to embrace it will change your life. You don't need to wait for something miraculous. This is something miraculous. It is God's word. And it is for you.